We are a little more than the halfway point in this sermon series that I've entitled Living in the Midst of God's Grand Story, The Covenant. And so I wanted to kind of give us an overview and a look forward. We spent some time in the early chapters of Genesis looking at creation and fall. We've had five sermons so far, starting in Genesis 12, on Abram and Abraham and the covenant. The reason I believe the covenant is so important is because it gives birth to all the benefits that we enjoy in Christ. It gives birth to justification by faith in chapter 15, verse 6. The, Old, the New Testament comes back again and again to that passage. And we'll be looking at some of those things. But the covenant is an everlasting expression of his grace in the face of our sin and rebellion. And that's true globally. One of the things we have to remember is that God's story was written down for us. That God, through Moses, began to write his story. And initially it would have been in, in large chunks. That We don't know how long it took for Moses to produce the chapters in what we think of as Genesis. Then Exodus could have been a almost like a a travel journal. And then you have the rest that will come after that. But he's written it down for us. And so I think that we need to take it seriously. We need to understand why. Why is this the first story that he tells us? Why is this the foundation of all of his promises of the gospel? His commitment to us. When we're, gonna, we're going to look at a couple of verses very closely. But this will become what I have come over the years, because it's going to be different than what I normally do. It's, it's going to be a, what we can think of as a postcard sermon. Because we're going to look at a verse, and then we're going to look at probably three other verses from the Old and the New Testament to say, this helps us understand what God was saying. In other words, to look back and say, oh, that's what he meant. But yet you can look at the passage and you can look forward and say, this is what God is going to promise. This is what God is going to do. And the two things that are central to this are circumcision and the renaming of Sarah to be the mother of Isaac and those who will follow after her. That God continues to make the covenant as an act of grace through Sarah, the mother of the adopted heirs who are marked with the outward sign of circumcision as a sign of promise. Now, there'll be a couple points that you'll catch on that I am really trying to hammer on as we look at the other passages that enlighten the passage that we're looking at in 
Genesis 17. Because I believe it is really important, both biblically and for us. One of the things in this passage that I see is that God owns the covenant he establishes and gives it an outward sign of the promise of faith, circumcision. Look at verse 10. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. But look at the beginning in verse 10. This is my covenant. See, it's something he has made. It's something he has done. It's not a contract in terms of I have to sign it to make it valid. No, it is valid because the Lord God Almighty made that covenant. Remember when we saw the fire go through the cut pieces of animals, sacrifices? That fire that then would come again when you have the burning bush, when you have the... the fire and the smoke that lead the people out of Egypt that comes down on the tabernacle, comes down on the temple. That fire that comes down on the believers, the disciples in Acts. This is my covenant which you shall keep. See, that's where we come into the parts that when Jesus Similarly would say, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. See, he's reaching out, Jesus is reaching out to those that he has loved first and says the way you demonstrate your love is to keep my commandments. But he reminds us, and this is something that is so important in this passage, it's for you and your offspring. It's about the heirs. It's about the people that will come after you. And that's why I use and not original with me, the idea that the covenant is about being adopted because it's about the future. Now, if we go ahead to Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 6, because, see, Deuteronomy and Genesis, in terms of writing, aren't that far apart in terms of time. But listen to what he says. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. Do you hear that? From the beginning, circumcision was an outward sign of an inward reality. The Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring. You see, we have to understand that that circumcision, while it was given to males, in a passage like this, reminds us that God comes and circumcises the hearts of all his children, all their offspring. And the purpose of that circumcision of our hearts is so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, that you may live. See, we have a lot of competition, we have a lot of competing ideas about what it means to be alive, to live. But what God is telling his people then and now, 
so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, so that you may live. That's why we're here. All the other things is competition. To love God with our heart, with our soul, so that we might live. That's the purpose of God reaching out to us and establishing the covenant. Giving it an outward sign of an inward reality. That God can do something, change my heart that I can't do on my own. You can't find the self-help book that will change your heart to worship the true and the living God. God has to reach out and circumcise your heart. See, we don't talk like that very often. We think of this and look at it and can, you know, say circumcision is bloody enough and now you're talking about circumcising your heart. You know, you're giving all these very vivid illustrations of change and identification. But all of that, the circumcision is so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. What are the things that we think of that can compete for our love of God? What are the things that can distract us from loving Him? You see, God again and again after the garden, after we turned away from Him, after we didn't listen to Him, after we disobeyed, after we sinned, God reaches out to change us so that we can love Him. He reaches out to us to restore our capability to love Him. Now, we're going to come to the passage that we use for the um, assurance of pardon from Colossians chapter 2, verse 11. And remember, this was at a time when it was a question of, if you're a Gentile, do you have to be circumcised? And the answer was from the church court, from the revelation from God is, no, if you're not a a Jew, you don't have to be circumcised. Because, look at this, in him also you were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, the putting off of the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Is that not a Christ explanation of what we read in Deuteronomy 30? It's bringing it forward after the cross. In him also you were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by the putting off of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your heart, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespass by canceling the record of the debt that stood against us with all its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and the authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. Now, 
To get in and look at all of this passage would, in my mind, in, in, would take two sermons at minimum. But yet in terms of drawing your attention, this is a passage where we see the circumcision that was given to us in Genesis 17 in the Old Testament then it's equated with and transitioned to baptism, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. That, that outward sign of the covenant after the cross for Gentiles What's given to them is what we think of as water baptism. Because water baptism represents spiritual baptism. Which represents our identity with him through his death and resurrection. But you see, what we're getting at in Genesis 17 that's going to eventually produce it is that when he says in verse 13, and you who were dead... In your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. Do you hear what he's saying? What he's putting us in, what he's saying our condition was apart from Christ. God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. See, the sinfulness that cutting away the foreskin represents in terms of by faith doing that. And it has to be by faith. It's, it can't be just a ritual. By faith that indeed God has brought us into his family, that he has canceled the record. I mean, this passage is so clear. Canceling the record that stood against us with its legal demands. That's one of the ways he describes our forgiveness. See, all of this grows out of this passage in Genesis 17 with the covenant of circ that circumcision is the outward sign of for the physical heirs of Abram, Abraham, and Sarah, Sarah. Now, let's look at Sarah. One of the things that... that you look at in this, this story about Abram and Abraham is that I mean they just he can't hide see he tries to hide his laughter because he says hey I'm going to be 100 years old you expect me to father a child my wife is 90 You know, he falls down to cover his laughter, then he gets up and he makes this little meek speech, wanting Ishmael, because Ishmael, he's 13 years old, Ishmael is the consequences of the lack of faith of both Abram and Sarai, that God would give them heirs, and so Sarai says, hey, 
have a child with my slave, with my servant. So you have a great man of faith committing a great sin that will cause his descendants on both sides great problems over the years. But see, he doesn't give up on them. Sarah and Abram share the responsibility for Abraham's sin with Hagar that God says he's going to take care of. And that's a whole other set of servants. But he changes her name. See, I think it's important in God's redemptive story, in his grand story, to change both names. It's not just enough to change the dad's name, but he's going to change the mother's name. And then he names the child. See, when I think of adoption, he says, who gets the naming rights? Well, in this case, it's kind of like the grandfather does. The God says, Isaac. What happens with Abram's grandchild, Jacob? He's coming back from being sent away to find his wife and his wealth. And God comes to him. And what's he do? He renames him. You're no longer going to be Jacob. You're going to be Israel. And see, I think it's interesting, and we need to pay attention and get the connection, is why in the New Testament... Do the two pillars of the church and evangelism get renamed? Simon becomes Peter, Saul becomes Paul. God does what he did at the beginning of an age, a stage of renaming to claim. He does it again. He takes a simple fisherman. Moves from Simon to Peter. He takes an arrogant, self-assured, entitled Jewish aristocrat and changes his name to send him out to all kinds of people, to the Gentiles. Someone who knew all the rules, all the ins and outs of all the Jewish kosher systems. And he sent out to preach free grace. That no, you don't have to be circumcised. That it's by grace alone, it's by his death on the cross that we are forgiven and brought into the family of God. But one of the things that Peter says in Acts 2, verse 7, when he is giving this great message... Verse 7 starts, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for 
the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, for the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. With many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourself from this crooked generation. Those who received his word and were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Do you hear the echoes of the covenant of, of what happened at creation? Do you hear those words in Genesis coming to alive after the cross? What do we do? The answer to this crowd of mostly Jewish people is repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. See, we live in a generation where sometimes I think, do we believe that God can cut people to the heart, cut their hearts open with the word of God? That God's Holy Spirit can take his word and dramatically change the way they think and look at it. To have what some have called a missionary encounter. Where their whole world is turned upside down because they know that they need to be forgiven and that they need the Holy Spirit. But again, look at the covenant context of this passage in verse 39. For the promise. Now, we're, you know, promise is a covenant word. You know, you know, we have things that we call code words. You know, they say this, but it means that. And when we think about a promise, it's always going to be rooted in the covenant. It is for you. And here's where the covenant just screams out over the centuries. For the promise is for you and for your children. And then going back to Genesis 12. And for all who are far off. Why? Remember that it's God that makes the covenant. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. See, we can never look at the challenge of evangelizing a community or a generation or however we want to describe that as being too overwhelming because it's not our job. It's going to be God who's going to use us to call people to himself just as he used this simple fisherman whose name had been changed. And he's using the word of God to exhort them, saying, save yourself from this crooked generation. Now, one of the things Presbyterians struggle with in verse 41 is they receive the word and they were baptized this way. Didn't you catechize them? Didn't you make them, you know? You see the building of the church in such a rapid way because the word of God and the Holy Spirit are coming together in a dynamic way that's creating a new covenant community. Forgiveness of sins, we've talked about that. In the previous part. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. I want to tie that to the covenant in this last part of this sermon. Now we're 
It's like, okay, I'm going to give you another postcard, another passage. Galatians chapter 3, beginning in verse 8. For if the inheritance comes by law, it no longer comes by promise. Do you hear the covenant word there? If the inheritance, but God gave it to Abraham by a promise. See, that's why Abraham is so important, is that he is the father of those people before circumcision and after circumcision. That he was brought into the covenant, he was declared the covenant person before he was circumcised, by faith. Verse 22, but scripture imprisons everyone under sin, so the promise of faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Verse 29, And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Paul, this great pharisaical scholar, takes this and says, if you are Christ, you're Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Remember, that's an heir is that whole adoption covenant idea. Then in chapter 4, verse 6, it says, And because you are sons, God sent his, the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Notice what he says. Because you are sons. He doesn't say if you're sons, but because. Paul wants us to be driven home to realize we're in the covenant that we are the children of God. God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Again, God makes the covenant. God sends the spirit to those that he has brought to himself. One of the purposes of that is to cry out, Abba, Father. Remember what I said from Deuteronomy? The reason where our hearts are circumcised is so we love him. So that we have a great love for him. And here he's saying you're crying out to your father. That that is one of the signs of having the Holy Spirit. The spirit of his son. And the last passage as we look at this. We think about Sarah being renamed. And about it being a generational promise. That we know this side of the cross has to do with the giving of the Holy Spirit. And here's where this comes into its most powerful image and words. In Romans chapter 8 verse 14 it says, All who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Walk before me, be blameless. We are the heirs, the children of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. That is one of the most pastoral things and as well as powerful and challenging things. To recognize that if I am living in fear, that I am living with the spirit of slavery, not the spirit of God. See, we need to be willing sometimes to call things what they are from a biblical perspective. If people are living in fear, they're not living as the adopted children of God. 
But we also need to realize this was written so that if we ourselves are living in fear, if we battle fears, and I know what that's like, but yet the words of God are true, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. We are brought into the family of God. We are given the Holy Spirit so that we cry out to God. The giving of the Holy Spirit is part of knowing that our sins are forgiven, that we've been cleansed, and knowing that we are the children of God. And that is why I think that when we look at adoption and justification, as the confession and the catechisms teach us, are both act of God's free grace, that adoption is an expression of the covenant making that then creates the faith to trust him. They're both together, the flip sides, but yet it is that adoption covenant that brings us into a place where we will confess our faith. Notice what it says in verse 16. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. What is one of the main ministries of the Holy Spirit? Is for all of us to know that we are the children of God, that God loves us, and that we are here to love him back, as we've read in Deuteronomy with all of our heart, with all of our soul, that we might live. How many people who profess to be Christians don't realize that they are the children of God? That they are loved by God, that God has made a covenant, has sent his son so that we might be the children of God, that he has sent his Holy Spirit so that we might cry out, Abba, Father, and know that we are the children of God. We're back to those covenant words in verse 17. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him. Remember the 400 years? Did you catch the last part of this? Provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Is there suffering in a spirit-led, spirit-filled life? Yes. Is there suffering in those who hear the word of God and know that they're children of God? Yes. But, in that suffering, whatever it is, we know that we have God's covenant commitment to adopt us, to justify us, that God has forgiven our sins, that God has given us his Holy Spirit so that we can know that we are the children of God and we can cry out, Abba, Father, but we can love him because he loved us first, as it said in Deuteronomy. There are people around you, there are people maybe in this room, who feel the weight of loneliness. When I was a military chaplain and I would use this as an illustration,
when I would say that some of them feel the loneliness. when they're in their bed at night six inches away from their spouse. They're together, but they're not together. That short distance becomes a wall that God can break down. And so we look at marriages and families from the outside, and we maybe are not able to see what the struggles are. But if we can look at our spouses, our children, our neighbors, people who we know are Christians, that they indeed have the spirit of adoption and not the spirit of fear. And to encourage them with the word of God. To deal with whatever separates them and gives them this weight that brings fear and loneliness into their lives. See, you look at verse 15 and you say, which does my neighbor need to hear? For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. See, that's not what the Christian has been given, but you have received the spirit of adoption of sons by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Sarah's name, Sarah was renamed. Sarah was given promises. Now, after this series in November, we'll get into the Incarnation, Christmas. But do you see the Christmas story here where a 99-year-old man and a 90-year-old woman have the impossible child? So that when Christ is born of the Virgin Mary, they who have been living with the story of the birth of Isaac to these, I mean, these aren't pensioners, these are senior pensioners in our culture. So God gives Sarah a name and makes promises and names that child. So, this is part of the reason why we give out the handouts. So that you can look at some of these passages, so you can think about them, so you can know about them, because the promises of grace, God's commitment... And see, one of the problems today is nobody believes that you can make a commitment that will stick. Do people believe government promises? I mean, one of the, you know, sometimes people's descriptions of one little thing in a novel stick with you. Nora Ephraim has a novel where she says through the character that the first time so-and-so's heart was broken was when his parents separated. There are a lot of broken-hearted people, generationally. The last thing I'm going to close with is that the gospel 
because of the covenant, can conquer generational issues and sins and dysfunction, however you want to name it, the gospel can take care of generational issues in people's lives. Because of God's commitment, because of his grace, because of Christ. The last thing I'll say, remember what Peter told them? Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This is where the covenant leads us to. Faith, repentance, baptism, and the gift of the Holy Spirit. Let us pray. Father, we know that the same Holy Spirit that was at work in the lives of the people there in Acts 2 is at work in our congregation and in our generation. We pray that you would take the word of God and that you would change and challenge people's lives even if their hearts are completely turned upside down or inside out. That they would cry out, what shall we do? And we would be there to answer. We pray, Father, that people would really have those missionary encounters that would end with, what shall I do? And we would be there with the word of God to come back and to bring them into the covenant family of God, the adopted family of God, the family of faith, the family of forgiveness. Father, we know that there are so many people in our generation that wonder and don't believe that they can be forgiven because all they see is the evil, the rebellion in their lives. They don't see the grace and the goodness that you bring to us through the word of God and through the Holy Spirit. Because we know we can't convince them that they need to repent and be forgiven, that only your word and your Holy Spirit can do that. But help us to be your vessels, your messengers to be the neighbors, the family members. Thank you, God, that you're there, that you have spoken, that you had it written down. And we pray now that as we get ready to go out into the world, that we would remember that you're the one that created it, even the darkness, the water, the chaos. you kept bringing us back to love you with our heart and with our soul. We pray these things, Jesus, in your most holy name. Amen.